and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. As we turn our thoughts to the year ahead, wouldn't it be great if Jesus came to you and me and said, this is what I want you to concentrate on most in 2021. In the year ahead, this is the matter of greatest importance for you. I think most of us getting this podcast or blog would listen very carefully to what Jesus said and immediately begin forming our plan to reach this objective, the one the Master says is of greatest importance. But what if Jesus has already told us that? This episode takes a fresh look at how we actually apply what Jesus taught was to be the priority of his followers as they went about living their everyday lives. Thanks for joining us today for season number two, episode number seven of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. In many ways, life 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the dusty roads of Palestine, was not all that different from life today. Most of their day was consumed with going to work and taking care of life's necessities something to eat, something to drink, something to wear. In Jesus' sermon about kingdom living, he did not demean these aspects of physical life, but he did say not to let them preoccupy our minds. He commanded, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't be preoccupied with these everyday necessities, says Jesus. The Father knows you need them. Instead, be preoccupied with something else. The matter of greatest importance for you, says our Lord, your primary concern and top priority is this, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The rest of the podcast tries to bring this nebulous, vague concept into sharper focus. Let's begin with the word seek. First, seeking means to intentionally steer your life in a specific direction. It's the opposite of being directionless, moving haphazardly, treading water, or being passive. Picture a car at the top of a mountain road drifting down the mountain with no driver at the wheel. It careens out of control, swerving right or left based on whatever it bounces off of. That's the way many of us live our lives. But in sharp contrast to this aimless approach to life, Jesus' command is to seek, and it means seizing control of our lives and steering them. Second, the word seeking means aiming at something. In fact, Webster tells us that aiming is a synonym for seeking. In Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, the Cheshire Cat says famously, If you don't know where you are going, any road will take you there. Jesus, in contrast, is crystal clear about our target, our goal. It is the reign of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But 
that's part of the problem. It's hard to know where we are going when most of us are befuddled with a rather muddy concept of the target Jesus assigned us. What is the kingdom of God? I mean, God already rules sovereignly right now, and so does Jesus. The whole universe is their kingdom. So we'll try to bring some clarity about that in a moment. But for now, seeking means first steering our lives, and second, steering them toward a target. Third, seeking means that you are moving toward this target. You are taking steps to reach the objective. Seeking always requires a plan. If you seek to bring home the right groceries, you always have some kind of a plan, even if it's not written down, for what you will be eating the next week. As an employee seeking to achieve the objectives you're paid to reach, you will have some kind of a plan, whether to follow up leads and sales, solve engineering problems, prepare for a legal settlement, design a lesson plan, or communicate with key members of your management team. And when you get off of work, seeking to use your evening free time well, you will probably form a plan for dinner, what pressing issues need to be addressed, and how you will relax. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a place for spontaneity, but the word seek implies intentional steps toward an objective. So seeking implies not ad-libbing, but intentionally steering our lives down the path we have laid out to reach our objective. Fourth, seeking means avoiding distractions. The car coming down that mountain road not only needs a driver with hands on the steering wheel, but also with eyes on the road. The context surrounding Matthew 6.33 shows that Jesus' command to seek first the kingdom of God is in contrast to being distracted by concerns over what we will eat or drink or wear. Instead, we are to keep first things first. The reign of the kingdom of God and his restoration of everything broken to rightness, to wholeness, is to be our primary focus. Someone has said, The good things in life are the enemies of the best things in life because time is a finite resource. Well, surely our Lord very much wants us to partake of the good things in life since he designed this earth to be our kingdom to enjoy. As we drive down the mountain path, we should take lots of time to look at and enjoy the grandeur of the mountain and go down the side roads for a picnic and a beer with friends and a little spike ball. Enjoying God's gift of his creation to us honors Christ and creates gratefulness in our hearts. But at the end of the race marked out for us, we will find the most joy if we consistently get back on the road, going hard after the reign of Christ's righteous kingdom over every sphere of earth, including our own hearts. I believe being self-controlled is not so much never being knocked off our disciplines or knocked off the path. That is always going to happen and probably should. Self-control, rather, is getting back onto our disciplines quickly once we've been knocked off track. Finally, the word seeking requires the expenditure of our resources, time, and energy. Another synonym for seeking is striving. Nearly every worthwhile goal in life is difficult to reach. It costs something. One of the meanings of the Greek word for seek, zetio, is to earnestly covet, 
That is, to intensely long for. The problem is that our longing quite naturally dissipates. One moment we're filled with passion to love Christ with all of our hearts. The next day we're flat. In other words, our heart bucket has a leak. Now, athletes know that when their heart doesn't feel like striving, their training plan must kick in. Structure has great power to get us back on track. Pat Morley writes, The reason men get into trouble isn't so much that they don't understand what they're supposed to do, but rather that they have no structure to help give them the discipline to do that which they already know they should. If we are going to beat the old man, that is our sinful nature in each of us, we're going to have to organize to do it. I believe he's right. We will never succeed at seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness if we don't get organized to do it. We'll look at what Jesus did to stay focused on his mission in a moment. But first, let's zero in on this vague, confusing expression, kingdom of God. What exactly is it that we're supposed to seek? Today's Bible-believing Christians often don't realize that the New Testament calls the gospel the quote-unquote gospel of the kingdom. The good news Jesus proclaimed was never just about our personal escape from hell. That's true, but the New Testament writers understood that the gospel, the good news, is the good news that the second Adam has come to overthrow Satan, sin, and death, fix everything that has been broken by sin, and establish the rule of his kingdom of righteousness over planet Earth. One of the keys to understanding Jesus' meaning of seeking first the kingdom of God is realizing that just 20 verses earlier in the same sixth chapter of Matthew, in fact, in the same sermon, Jesus explained this term. This top priority mission, seeking first the kingdom, is what Jesus was talking about when he taught them to pray, may your kingdom come. Jesus was not saying that one of the five pillars of daily prayer in the Lord's Prayer is to ask Jesus every day to come back to earth soon. Rather, Jesus explained what he meant in the words that follow this instruction in Matthew 6.10. Jesus' words, again, are, may your kingdom come, then he explains what he means. May your will be done on earth as your will is done in heaven. In heaven there is no sin. Righteousness reigns. The kingdom coming refers to the advance of Christ's kingdom of righteousness over earth. The more that happens, the more the kingdom of earth will be like the kingdom of heaven. That is what it means to pray for God's kingdom to come, that God's righteousness from heaven will spread over the earth. That is what Jesus was talking about when he commanded his followers, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is to seek the rule of King Jesus and his righteousness over our heart loyalties, the rule of King Jesus and his righteousness over our heart attitudes, becoming like Jesus in our character, and it's recovering Adam's call to develop the potential of the earth while seeking the restoration of rightness fixing everything broken by sin in every sphere of our lives and in the culture. 
Jesus' discipleship call to you and me to follow him means believing that God has specifically placed you and me in every sphere of relationships we have, our family, friends, work associates, neighbors, church body, so that we will devote ourselves to accomplishing his righteous agenda there. We are not placed in the middle of those relationships by accident. It's in those specific spheres that we are to bring about Jesus' agenda. As an ancient scholar once said, the church is, quote, the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefits of its non-members. Every day for 2,000 years, Christ followers have been trying to bring about the reign of Christ's righteousness over the planet. Here's the story of one Christian man, Judge Clements of the state of Indiana. One day, God brought a man named James Brewer into his everyday world, into his courtroom. James was tried for capital murder. The evidence was overwhelming, and Judge Clement had no choice but to sentence this young man to death. But on that day, Judge Clement began a prayer vigil, praying every day for convicted murderer James Brewer. Those prayers were eventually answered. And James Brewer came to faith in Christ and led many others on death row to faith as well. Four years after sentencing Brewer, Judge Clement found out that the organization he worked with, Prison Fellowship, had scheduled an in-person visit between Chuck Colson and about 20 Prison Fellowship volunteers and the prisoners on death row in the Indiana State Penitentiary. The warden opened the individual cell doors. The men walked out and mixed with the volunteers. After Colson spoke briefly, they sang Amazing Grace. Colson observes, Nowhere do the words of that hymn have richer meaning than among a group of society's despised outcasts condemned to die for the most awful crimes. After they concluded Amazing Grace, Colson had to press his PF volunteers to say goodbye quickly because he had to move on to a meeting with the state governor. But one prison fellowship volunteer resisted. Colson describes the scene. The volunteer, a short white man in his early 50s, was standing shoulder to shoulder with Brewer. The prisoner was holding his Bible open while the older man appeared to be reading a verse. Oh, yes, the volunteer looked up. Give us just a minute, please. This is important, he added softly. No, I'm sorry, I snapped. I can't keep this governor waiting. We must go. I understand, the man said, still speaking softly. But this is important. You see, I'm Judge Clement. I'm the man who sentenced James here to die. But now he's my brother, and we want a minute to pray. Colson says, I stood frozen in the cell doorway. It didn't matter who I kept waiting. Before me were two men. One was powerless, the other powerful. One was black, the other white. One had sentenced the other to death. Anywhere other than the kingdom of God, that inmate might have killed that judge with his bare hands, or wanted to anyway. Now they were one their faces reflecting an indescribable expression of love as they prayed together. That was Judge Clement, just seeking Christ's kingdom to prevail over earth, praying daily for the man who crossed his path, 
investing his time in a ministry to prisoners on death row, seeking the power of Christ to make whole those most broken by sin in our world, their sin and others' sin, showing the world the restoration of relationships that takes place in the kingdom of God. So how do we stay focused on seeking first Christ's agenda of righteousness in every sphere of our lives? How do we stay focused on Christ's mission for us in 2021, in other words? The answer, I believe, is following Jesus' example, especially as it's set forth in Luke 5, 16. But let's look at the context going back to verse 15. Luke writes, Now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. That's the situation. But Luke continues now in verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Just nine words tell us how to stay focused on Christ's mission for us. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Let's dig a little deeper. The word but. Luke's wording implies that contrary to what you would expect, but when the crowds grew even larger and his outer world got even more hectic with even more opportunities to heal those broken by sin, he did the unexpected. He retreated to his private world. Then this sentence continues, he would withdraw. The word would describes a pattern, a structure, a habit, a way of life. If Jesus felt the need to withdraw to his private world regularly to talk to the Father and he was perfect, how much more must we? Luke's description continues, but he would withdraw. He withdrew from those ministry activities, yet Jesus on the night before his death would say to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. How could Jesus say that? There were still lepers to make whole, blind eyes he could make see, hypocritical religious leaders who still needed to be confronted, prostitutes who needed to understand his love. I believe the only explanation for completing his mission was his habit of withdrawing to desolate places to talk with the Father about his mission. Luke's description, desolate places, implies a private place. Maybe for us that's taking a shower, or talking to God while we drive, or as we jog, or as we fall asleep at night. That's legitimate, a great time to talk with the Lord. I'm sure Jesus talked to the Father all through the day, but here in Luke, we have a more intentional example of Jesus putting time in his schedule to withdraw to his inner world, where values shape our decisions and where we hear the voice of God. Luke's description continues, he withdrew to desolate places to pray. I believe that Jesus is modeling for us something beyond having a daily quiet time when we read the word and pray some. The link in Luke's wording of these two verses, the growing external ministry with his retreat to his internal world, unmistakably links Jesus' prayer to his mission. Years ago, I was challenged by a time management specialist to consider that time management is not so much getting more stuff done as it is getting the right stuff done. That is staying focused on the important, not the urgent. 
So back then I made two decisions. First, I undertook a thorough study of Scripture to see if I could define my mission both simply and biblically. I realized I was called to Christ, called to be like Christ, and called to exercise dominion for Christ by implementing his agenda of righteousness in every sphere of my life. The second life-changing decision I made was to seek to invest 60 to 90 minutes on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Monday morning, sometime at the beginning of the week, heading to a desolate place to pray in order to stay focused on my upcoming mission as I began the week. Our website, forgingbonds.org, is full of free downloadable information about Christ's agenda for every sphere that we are to rule as men for Christ. If your desire is to honor Christ in 2021 more than you ever have, I urge you to build the habit into your life following Christ's example. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Start a life mission file with three tabs and start to collect every piece of wisdom you can about number one, enjoying a love relationship with Christ, number two, becoming Christ-like, and number three, Implementing Christ's agenda for your marriage and family, workplace, church involvement, outreach, stewarding of your gifts, and so on. And then commit yourself to looking over that file once a week, just one hour out of the 168 our Lord gives us to review his mission for us. As 2020 turns into 2021, we may wonder what unexpected things 2021 will hold. Certainly no one foresaw the impact of COVID-19 on 2020, but one thing is certain. What will most honor Christ is to seek first the reign of his righteous kingdom in every sphere of our lives. To seek is the opposite of an aimless, random, ad-lib approach to following Christ. To seek means to be intentional and pursue a plan. To summarize this episode, Jesus told us what our top priority is to be as his followers, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek is an active, not passive word that requires us to steer our lives instead of being rudderless. Seeking also requires having a clear objective, designing a pathway to reach that objective, refusing to let distractions make us lose sight of our mission and putting the structure into our lives that will renew our hearts with the energy required to continue going hard after Christ's objectives for us. When it comes to understanding and pursuing our mission, many Christians are paralyzed because they don't know what the kingdom of God is. It is not God's sovereign rule, but the rule of his righteousness over the planet. Luke implies that Jesus' mission was accomplished in part because of his habit of withdrawing to desolate places to pray. We cannot hope to make a difference for Christ's kingdom without doing the same. For further prayerful thought, what truth about the meaning of the word seek most energizes you? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Next week, we begin a new series entitled Winning Spiritual Battles Because We Use Our Spiritual Weapons. As we seek to advance the righteous reign of King Jesus in our own lives and spheres, Paul tells us that there is severe resistance from the kingdom of darkness. 
Six times in a few verses, Paul says we fight against the spiritual forces of wickedness. We must, therefore, be strong in the Lord, which means putting on the spiritual armor of Christ, like the belt of truth, and fighting with spiritual offensive weapons. Well, this analogy is great, but 99% of us don't know what these weapons really are practically. How do all these things actually help us win battles against our own sinful nature, which seeks to overpower us, the world that seeks to entice our heart desires, and the evil one who knows precisely how to tempt us? These are the questions this series seeks to answer. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to let other Christian men know about it and especially this new upcoming series on how to fight spiritual battles and win. 